This episode does contain some explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. I want to take a quick moment to let everyone know that you can visit the Instagram account Anatomy of a Verse for pictures and additional information that didn't make it into the episode. And if there's anything you'd like to see more of or less of on future episodes, feel free to let me know on Twitter, at Anatomy of a Verse. I do a little music theory analysis in this episode, so if you found that helpful or just confusing, let me know. Anyway, welcome to Anatomy of a Verse, the podcast that examines rap music and hip-hop culture one verse at a time. I'm Max Maples, and today's episode is about Kanye West's final verse on the song Gone from the album Late Registration. Head on my time, sometimes years out, so the powers that be won't let me get my ideas out, and that make me want to get my advance out and move to Oklahoma and just live in my aunt's house. Like a lot of Kanye's early material, this verse is fun, lighthearted, and full of pop culture references. But there's something else that makes it maybe one of the greatest hip-hop verses of all time. And that is the musical arrangement handled by Kanye's co-producer, John Bryan. But before we talk about John Bryan, we have to rewind a bit further back. Today, our story begins in the year 1999. This is The Truth by Beanie Siegel, and it's the first beat that Kanye West ever sold to Rockefeller Records. Here he is in 2002 explaining why this beat, in many ways, represents the true beginning of his career in hip-hop. I feel like the first record where I really got recognition for was The Truth. Even though it wasn't a great commercial success, it's like I just really got that respect, because I always wanted respect for my music. Like I told you, man. It's the real thing right here, man. I'm not trying to do this for a check, you know what I'm saying? So the truth mean a lot to me. Then that was a great record because it also formed our relationship with Rockefeller. In this song, the rapper Beanie Siegel is telling his listeners all of this crime and poverty that you hear in my lyrics, this is who I am. This is not storytelling or character rapping. This is the truth. And Rockefeller Records' entire brand was based around rappers who did whatever it took to lift themselves out of poverty. And although Kanye's beats fit into the Rockefeller brand, Kanye himself, who had been raised upper middle class and attended school in a mostly white suburb of Chicago, did not. But that didn't matter because Kanye was a producer. He was just a behind-the-scenes guy. He worked mostly at Baseline Studios, which was Rockefeller's recording studio in New York City. And in the year 2000, he finally sold a beat to Rockefeller's most successful artist and arguably the most successful rapper alive at the time, Jay-Z. What's up? All my street niggas, project niggas, real niggas worldwide. After selling this beat, which would become the song This Can't Be Life, Kanye's career took off. And for the next two years, he would become one of the most in-demand producers in all of hip-hop, even landing one of the biggest hit singles 
of Jay-Z's career, the song Izzo. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the eighth wonder of the world. The flow of the century. Oh, it's timeless. Ho! But even with all this success, Kanye refused to see himself as just a behind-the-scenes guy. He wanted to be a rapper. I was always rapping. And it just so happened that really, really phenomenal rappers got to rap on my beats before I got a chance to. So that pushed me into the classification of a producer. But I'm a rapper from the heart. Like, I got something to say, you know what I'm saying? And people are like, yo, what you finna rap about? You never so crack out your house or put a gat to a mouth and put your fist to your spouse. So how you gonna move the crowd? I bet a thousand that you get booed out. As Jay-Z would later tell Time Magazine, quote, We all grew up street guys who had to do whatever we had to do to get by. Then there's Kanye, who, to my knowledge, has never hustled a day in his life. I didn't see how it could work, end quote. And it wasn't just Kanye's wealthy upbringing that made him stand out at Rockefeller. He was, according to many regulars at Baseline Studios, a goofy nerd, at that time wearing adult braces and secretly nicknamed Urkel by some of his clients. And as a rapper, his subject material was also at odds with the hip-hop status quo. Maybe a lot of the rules of hip-hop, like a lot of the aggression and the negativity that people have towards people, maybe I'm not hip-hop because of that. You know what I'm saying? Whatever happened to, um, you know what, girl? Um, I can't really afford this movie. We got to go Dutch. I know I got jewelry on and everything, but uh, whatever happened to, you know, I was in the club and I ain't really getting no girls, like like four girls this, you know what I'm saying? But I guess that's like anti-hip-hop, right? Because hip-hop was always about front and always acting like, I feel like that's the black mentality anyway because since we ain't never had nothing, if we get a little something, we gotta show it to prove something, you know what I'm saying? Determined to get a record deal as a rapper, Kanye set up meeting after meeting with major record labels. And soon he became known for his naive, eccentric behavior and, in particular, for hopping on conference room tables and breaking out into freestyle raps, usually not prompted by anyone. Here's one of Kanye's close friends, the rapper Talib Kweli. And then he was he was shopping his demo. He had a situation at Capitol. Um, he had different situations he was looking at, but nobody was taking him seriously. He wanted to be a raucous. And Rucker was like, nah, we want his beats. Everybody was trying to figure out a way to get Kanye to give up his beats without wanting to hear him rap. It was like, say that rap, even Rockefeller at the time. Kanye would rap constantly and he would he would test out his new raps on anybody who walked on the tour bus. So as you walked on the tour bus, he would listen, listen, listen to this. And you, you reminded me that I said that Kanye's so passionate that if you're with him and you're not as passionate as he is, you'll feel uncomfortable. And I think that's what makes him get up and be like, nah, fuck this, I got something to say. Eventually, Rockefeller co-owner Dame Dash reluctantly agreed to sign Kanye as a rapper. Although most would agree it was only in order to secure Kanye's beats. But in 2004, Kanye exceeded the expectations of everyone at Rockefeller with the release of his debut album, The College Dropout, which scored three top 10 singles, a slew of positive critical reviews, and the Grammy Award for Best Rap Album. Thanks to Rockefeller, Jay-Z, Dame Dash, G, my mother, Rhyme Fest, everyone that's helped me. And I plan, I, I, I plan to celebrate. 
I plan to celebrate and scream and pop champagne every chance I get, cause I'm at the Grammys, baby! So now let's talk about how Kanye decided to approach his second album, 2005's Late Registration. There are two main influences that Kanye would bring up when talking about this album. The first is a band from Bristol, England called Portishead, and specifically their 1994 album, Dummy. One of the albums that really inspired me was Dummy by Portishead, and I wanted to bring that sound to hip-hop. Of course, Portishead had a hip-hop sound, but they had their own niche, and rappers never rapped on beats quite like that, and I felt like the production on those beats were actually better than the average rap beat. It's like they took hip-hop and just took it to another level with the strings, with everything. You know, on this album, we attempted to bring that element to hip-hop. Let's take a listen to a clip from a Portishead song called Sour Times from the album Dummy. And I want you to pay special attention to the string instrument that you hear being rapidly plucked or strummed. Notice the cinematic quality that it gives to this song. We'll come back to this later in the episode, but moving on, the second important influence on Late Registration's production sound is the American singer-songwriter Fiona Apple, and specifically her 1996 album, Title. Like with Portishead's Dummy, the production of this album is also very cinematic. For example, let's listen to a clip from the song Carrion, and as you listen, See how many different instruments you can pick out, and notice how together they create this perfect cushion for Apple's unique and captivating voice. You can't intimidate me back into your arms because The man responsible for most of the arrangements on title and responsible for playing most of the instruments that you just heard in that clip is a film composer named John Bryan. In 2004, when Kanye was about halfway done with the new album, he went to see the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and found himself once again captivated by the music of John Bryan.
It wasn't long before Kanye and Brian met in person, and instantly they began working on what would become late registration. He didn't call any labels or anything like that. He just started working on the project right there and just figuring, okay, well, we'll let the lawyers clean up the mess, but we have to be creative. This energy, this thing needs to happen right now. John Bryan introduced Kanye to numerous instruments and recording techniques that were definitely not common around baseline studios. And Kanye, in turn, was able to pick out exactly the kind of sounds that he needed to bring his vision to life. And if there is a prime example of a song where Kanye really let Brian's film composer instincts run wild, it's on the subject of today's episode, the song Gone. We spy and told what's the only one. Uh-oh. But it's too late. It's too late. You sweater, and I ain't talking about a cool J. You a big L, and I ain't talking about cool J. See me at the airport, at least 20 Louis. Treat me like the prince, and it's my sweet brother, Even for a Kanye song, Gone is especially upbeat and happy sounding. It's in the key of G major, which is important to mention because in the final verse, while Kanye is telling one story with his lyrics, John Bryan is going to tell another parallel story, as film composers often do using harmonic chord progressions. So for now, let's get comfortable in this happy, upbeat harmonic world of G major. To the show and talk all through the movies. Said she want diamonds. I took her to Ruby Tuesdays. If we up at Friday, I still have it my way. Gone. We strive at home. Gone. Now, if you're listening to this on headphones, you may notice that the Otis Redding piano sample is pushed entirely to the left side of the stereo field. And on the right side of your headphones is John Bryan's string orchestra. This is the first of several metaphors that we're going to encounter in this song. It's as if Kanye and Brian are trying to exaggerate the differences between the sample and the strings by separating them rather than blending them into one cohesive sound. For the purposes of this episode, we're going to think of the left side of the headphones with the sample as representing traditional hip-hop production aesthetics, or the past. And we're going to think of the right side with the string orchestra as representing all the future possibilities of hip-hop production. There are two guest verses in this song before we get to the main event. So I'm going to play a short clip from each one, and I want you to notice how the strings get more intense and more active while staying entirely on the right side of the stereo field. Here's a bit of verse 2 by Cameron. Yes, I know you want to see my demise Why? Church boy acting like a thief in disguise Ain't even my size See the greed in my eyes Act happy, I hustle Boy, we to the shine Shit, and that ain't even a lie And now, a little of verse 3 By Consequence 
back gone too far And I'll be gone for 20 years doing time behind bars And since I've gone to a cell for some petty crimes I guess I've gone to the well one too many times Cause I'm gone Now, normally we would just get another chorus here, maybe a double chorus, and then end the song. But instead, we get something very unusual and mysterious sounding. In an interview, John Bryan referred to the end of this song as, quote, crazy soundtrack music. And we're about to find out exactly why. I'm going to let this whole instrumental section play out, and I want you to notice how these chord progressions take us out of that nice and neat G major harmonic world that we've been living in for the past three and a half minutes of this song. To use an analogy, if the first part of the song was like a nicely solved Rubik's Cube, then this section is like somebody coming along and scrambling it back up again. Now, let's talk about the fact that we haven't heard Kanye's voice in this song since the end of the first verse, which was almost three minutes ago. And his entrance here in the middle of this weird, upside-down world is a signal of something important. What might seem like wordless nonsense syllables is actually a reference to a seminal hip-hop recording from 1986, Dougie Fresh and the Get Fresh Crew's The Show. Six minutes. Now, let's play that spooky chord that we hear in the last four bars of the bridge when Kanye makes his entrance. This chord is preparing us for a return to G. But thanks to that weird instrumental section, we don't know if it's going to be G major, G minor, or something else entirely. Let's listen on. Okay, okay. I have to cut this off because this is a very important moment. The beginning of this verse is powerful, even confrontational sounding. But there's also an element of uncertainty here, like someone fighting with all their might against an unknown enemy. And this is completely intentional. The string orchestra on the right side of our headphones, which, if you recall, represents the future, is not playing any chords, which would tell us what key we were in. Instead, it's playing a two-note, half-step motif. For fans of movie music or late 19th century classical music, this might sound a little bit familiar.
This, of course, is the main theme of the movie Jaws, written by composer John Williams. The movie centers around a mysterious and dangerous shark that terrorizes a beach town. This theme itself is a quotation of another piece of music from 1893, the fourth movement of Antonin Dvorak's New World Symphony, which is, not coincidentally, a piece of music about entering an exciting but unfamiliar world of strange new music and culture. Now, Brian is not directly quoting Jaws or the New World Symphony here, but I bring them up to illustrate another metaphor that is present in this part of the song. That is, the journey towards the unknown. This could be about Kanye approaching new, uncharted musical territory, or even about us, the listener, approaching the strange and unpredictable public figure that is Kanye West himself. Let's listen again and this time, I'll keep going. I'm ahead of my time, sometimes years out. So the powers that be won't let me get my ideas out. And that make me want to get my advance out. And move to Oklahoma and just live in my aunt's house. Yeah, I'm ahead of my time, sometimes years out. So the powers that be won't let me get my ideas out. Here, Kanye is calling out the record industry for not taking him seriously. He's also fantasizing about how nice it would be to simply fold under all the pressure and use his advance money to live quietly in solitude with his mom's sister in Oklahoma. This line is a reference to the song 1999 by Common. Kanye's thinking about all the privacy that he had before he was famous, before he sold his first beat for the song The Truth to Rockefeller Records in 1999. In these bars, Kanye continues reminiscing about life before he was famous, before he dated beautiful women, and before he could easily afford luxury cars. When he says, if I could just get one beat on Hova, he's referring to one of Jay-Z's many nicknames. And at the same time, John Bryan shifts the aggressive motif played by the strings down a fourth. So before it sounded like this, now it sounds like this. From the lime, light, like when I was on a grind in the one, nah, 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 before. Model chicks was bending over, or dealerships as we been a rover. Man, if I could just get one beat on hover, we could get up off the sheep ass sofa. What the summer? This section doubles down on the aggressive and confrontational nature of the verse up to this point. 
whereas this verse could just as easily sound nostalgic or introspective, Kanye and Brian are intentionally going in the opposite direction musically. We could get up off the sheep ass sofa. What the summer of the shy got to offer? 18 year old sell drugs, you get a job, you gotta play euro. My dog worked the Taco Bell, hooked us up, Puro. Fired a week later, the manager count the churro. Sometimes I can't. And as he goes further and further backwards in time, thinking about life as an 18 year old in Chicago, getting free churros from his friend working at Taco Bell, again, the beat doesn't get soft or sentimental like we might expect. In fact, it builds in intensity and actually gets thicker. Remember that Portishead song, Sour Times, that we played earlier? This song actually samples a song by, surprise, surprise, another film composer named Lalo Schifrin. Here's a bit of the song Danube Incident, originally written in 1968 for the TV show Mission Impossible. Again, notice that rattling metallic string instrument panned all the way to the left. Now, let's compare that to the similar instrument that Brian adds, also panned all the way to the left, about halfway through this verse. And for further comparison, here's a little bit of Marius Constant's famous intro to The Twilight Zone. I'm playing all these examples because I want to show that John Bryan is using classic film score techniques to make us feel like we're approaching a scary and uncertain future, even as Kanye's lyrics continue to do the opposite, diving into the past. But this is all going to change pretty soon as we get to the next section. They claim you never know what you got till it's gone. I know I got it. I don't know what y'all on. Kanye seems to confirm here what the arrangement has already told us, that this is not a verse about remembering the good old days. For Kanye, the good old days are right now. But let's also talk about what the strings are doing here. As soon as Kanye shifts his focus from past to present, we go from virtually no harmonic information to an overload of chords and tonal centers. In music theory, this is called a sequence. Without getting too nerdy, a sequence is simply a process that takes us from one place to another, and then repeats again from the new starting position, continuing the process over and over. Here's an example of a simple sequence that gradually shifts downwards. 
Notice how nice and neat this sequence sounds. That's because each statement of the sequence is technically not an exact replica of the statement that came before it. Instead, we're making little alterations to each statement in order to keep them all in the same key. If the statements were exact replicas of each other, it would sound something like this. And we can go on and on like this until we run out of notes, because we're not bound by any tonality. This kind of sequence gives us a feeling of being untethered from reality, or a sense of leaving that which is familiar and comfortable. And of course, this is also the kind of sequence that John Bryan is using in this part of the verse. When we contrast this with what came before it, the overall effect is like being shot into outer space and suddenly seeing everything in a new, exciting way. Or, to put it differently, Kanye wants to open our ears and our minds to all the possibilities for the future of hip-hop music. Throughout this verse, Kanye has moved from past to present and now to the future, where he imagines himself as the owner of a fictional store for up-and-coming rappers. This line, won't sell him no dreams, but the inspiration is free, suggests that the store is a metaphor for Kanye's career in the future and for his quest to find the difficult balance between making music that is both inspirational and commercially viable. The early to mid-2000s were a time when many rappers went from making music that was gritty or Afrocentric to making music that was polished, danceable, and radio-friendly. Some notable examples of this are The Black Eyed Peas, Outkast, and Ludacris. Kanye is suggesting that these rappers switched sides, like Anakin Skywalker, the character from the Star Wars movies who went from being a promising young peacekeeper to the most feared villain in the universe. And he's also comparing them to the actor Brad Pitt, who, right around the time this song was recorded, left his wife, Jennifer Aniston, for another younger actress, Angelina Jolie. It's also worth mentioning that these two cultural references are exactly the kind of thing that made Kanye stick out at Rockefeller, where more common cultural references might have been gang slogans, neighborhood-specific slang terminology, or recipes for cooking crack cocaine. But if they ever flip sides like Anakin, you will sell everything, including the mannequin. They got a new bitch, now you Jennifer Aniston. Hold on, I'll handle it. Don't start panicking, stay calm. Shorty's at the door, cause they need more. Inspiration for their life, they souls and they songs. They said, sorry, Mr. West is gone. In this fictional scenario, people are knocking on Kanye's door because they are desperately in need of inspiration for their life, 
their souls, and their songs. But as it turns out, Kanye is gone. And not gone because he gave up or quit, but gone because he's moving on, musically, stylistically, away from the past, and into the scary, unknown future of hip-hop music. Although Gone was never released as a single from late registration, it managed to get to number 18 on the Billboard charts in the year 2013, a full eight years after its release, thanks to a viral YouTube video in which a woman proudly dances to the song after quitting her job. And this viral video speaks to the message of the song as a whole, the message that we should all feel empowered to believe in ourselves and express ourselves, even if it means jumping on a table or bothering people in power who are used to things being a certain way. There's a well-known story about Kanye being laughed at by a bunch of famous musical artists and influential industry people after enthusiastically rapping the entirety of his song, Jesus Walks, which would later go on to win a Grammy for Best Rap Song. When most people tell this story, they tell it as an example of record labels not being able to spot talent. But the truth is that Kanye wasn't that great of a rapper back then. He didn't have the vocal technique that he would eventually develop to channel his charisma. He would often get out of breath while rapping or forget his lyrics and have to start over. Unlike the other Rockefeller rappers, he hadn't hardened himself in the parks and playgrounds of project buildings, where being unprepared or corny could result in social exile or even worse. So he had to do it another way, by refusing to take no for an answer. And while many would make fun of him for being seemingly immune to embarrassment, as we all know, in the end, Kanye got the last laugh. Anatomy of a Verse is created by me, Max Maples, in Brooklyn, New York. This episode is dedicated to Kanye's mom, Donda West, who died in 2007. Next time, we're going to talk more about metaphors and double meanings with the second verse from the song, Lights Please, by J. Cole. Thanks for listening. Sometimes ears out, so the powers that be won't let me get my ideas out, and that make me wanna get my advance out. I moved to Oklahoma and just lived in my aunt's house. Yeah, I romance the thought of leaving it all behind. Kanye step away from the lime, light, light. When I was on a grind in the one nine 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 before model chicks was bending over, or dealerships as we been a rover, man. If I could just get one beat on hover, we could get up off the cheap ass sofa. What the summer of the shot got to offer a 18 year old? Tell drugs to get a job, you gotta play euro. Dog work the Taco Bell, hook the sub plural. Five a week later, the manager count the churro. Sometimes I can't believe it when I look up in the mirror. How we out in Europe? Spinning euros, you say you never know what you got till it's gone. I know I got it, I don't know what y'all on. I'ma open up a store for aspiring MCs. Sell them no dream, but the inspiration is free. But if they ever flip sides to Anakin, you will sell everything, including the mannequin. They got a new bitch, now you did it for Anderson. Hold on, I'll handle it. Don't start panicking, stay calm. Shorty's at the door, cause they need more. Inspiration for their life, they souls and they song. Told them sorry, Mr. West is gone. <laughs>